we doing, people? Good. So I'm, thank you, Maddie. Um, happy New Year. Although I kind of feel like it's so late in the, in the month, really. Do we need to say Happy New Year? I kind of have this thing, like, honestly, by the 3rd of January, I'm not saying Happy New Year anymore, because it's like, we've been here for three days, right? But that's just me. So um, I have this thing where I don't like New Year's resolutions. I really don't. I think they're a complete and utter waste of time. Over the years, they've normally cost me quite a bit of money that I have wasted. Um, So I decided probably about four or five years ago that I was done with New Year's resolutions, that instead I wanted to do something intentional that would ultimately bring glory to God, whether it is a spiritual practice I needed to implement, whether it is... um, a message I needed to to give to somebody, or whether it was a stepping out in faith. So that's what. That, so that's the last sort of four or five years. That's kind of what I do. I don't. I don't do New Year's resolutions. So this probably over over sort of December, January, or probably November, December. God and I have been talking about what am I going to do intentionally this year. What, is, what am I going to do that's ultimately, by the end of 2023, I can go, I did this and it brought glory to God. Not that, that you know, it's about me, but it's about whatever it is I do, whether anybody else knows about it or not, that I can know that I can sit back and God and I can have a conversation and God can go to me, yep, you did it. You brought glory to me in this area or for this purpose. So I want you to understand that this message, I'm actually preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to you. So, I, so this is not one of those messages where I'm going to tell you how to do it because I'm already there. No, no, this is something I'm going to be actively working on this whole entire year myself. And I want to encourage you to either come on the journey with me and make it a part of your thing or even just take one aspect of it so that you can be intentional about this year. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Craig's already alluded to the fact that we're going to be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. More stuff's going to come out about that. There are different types of fasts, and depending on where you are in your situation and your life circumstance, what's going on, there are certain fasts that you can do and ones that you shouldn't do. So, for example, if you work a laborish job, there is no way you should be doing a um, fast where you have no food whatsoever. That is nonsensical. That is dangerous for yourself. So you should be looking at other types of fast. So we're going to put all that kind of information out so that you're prepared. So one of the things that we're going to do over the course of this whole year is we will, as a church, pray and fast for 40 days, spread across. Don't panic. We're not going to do it all in one hit. All right? We're going to spread it across. But those are the sort of things I'm talking about. But to pull this off, I realized something for myself. Remember, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you is that there's some attitudes that I'm going to have to change to accomplish what I need to do for this year. So I want to share those with you because I think they're, they're worthwhile for everybody. So there are three attitudes I want to talk to you about that we need to change so that we can change our life. Yeah? Does that sound good? Well, okay, three of you. Excellent. Hopefully more of you will get on board as I explain. So first of all, what is an attitude? So an attitude is the way that you think or feel about someone or something. An attitude is a feeling or way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. We all have teenagers, we know what that's like. It's an attitude is a way of thinking or behaving that people regard as unfriendly, rude, or prideful. 
You see, God gave us emotions and he gave us feelings. And he made us in his image. So therefore, God himself has emotions and feelings. Emotions and feelings aren't bad. Sometimes they're misguided. And we as believers, we as disciples, have to learn that we cannot live by our feelings. That we have to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because of that... We can often have an attitude that can actually circumvent and stop the blessing and the flow of God in our life. Therefore, if we don't want to stop the flow of God in our life, we don't want to stop God's blessing, we don't want to circumvent his destiny for us, sometimes we have to change and readjust the attitudes that we have. Does that make sense? All right. And sometimes, to readjust our attitudes, we actually have to be honest with ourselves. And sometimes the hardest person to be honest with is yourself. So I want to give you three attitudes about, and I want to give you three um, things that you can do to change your attitude. Because it's okay to say, hey, you need to change and have these attitudes, but then you go, well, how am I supposed to change the attitude? How am I supposed to change, right? I always find that it's better to have the how to do it. So this is the how to do it. How do I change an attitude? The first thing, three easy steps. First one is recognize that you have an attitude. This is where you need to be honest because sometimes we're blind to ourselves and we're blind to our own faults and we're blind to the things that we maybe aren't so great at. The second thing we have to do is we have to change our thinking. We have to repent. You see, God wants us at all times to have heaven's perspective on things. But we quite often carry the earth's perspective on things. We have, God has a completely different view and outlook. So for us to be able to change, we actually need to know what is it that I'm supposed to view about this? What is it that I'm supposed to think about this? And we don't look to the earth. We don't look to mankind for that. We look to God for his perspective. The great thing about this journey with God is that when you think you can't do things, or when you think that things aren't possible, or when circumstances and people are telling you, no, you can't, the amazing thing about God and this journey that we have with him is he says, yes, you can. And I love that about God. That's what makes walking with God so exciting. Things that the earth or the world tells you you cannot do are totally doable in the kingdom of God. So the third thing we have to do then, once we have heaven's perspective, is we have to change our thinking. We need to refocus our attention. We need to change our direction. And because we now look at life the way God sees life and not how I see life, God wants heaven's perspective to come down to earth, not earth's perspective going up into heaven. Because of that, we start to live by faith. Because God says that the just shall live by faith. Amen? So the formula to change our attitude is really simple. One, we recognize that we have an attitude. Two, we repent and change our thinking. Three, we renew our thinking and refocus our direction. So we're going to look at three attitudes today, really simple ones. The first one is our attitude towards God. The second one is our attitude towards others. And the third one is my attitude towards myself. Now, if you get nothing else out of this message at all, if you just get this first one, if you decide it's going to be too hard to change all three attitudes, I'm just going to focus on one, this is the one that you need to focus on. Does that make sense? This is the most important one. We're going to choose to follow and not to lead. We're going to choose to follow and not to lead. 
You see, as a disciple, I'm going to have to change my attitude about having control of my own life, about living by my rules and my destiny and my decisions. As a disciple, I no longer belong to myself. I have been brought with a price. And the price that was paid for me was the most precious thing in the world, and it's the blood of Jesus. I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong exclusively to me. I am no longer independent of, but I am now fully and completely under the control and under the authority of God. We belong exclusively to him. And he is a jealous God over us. Because I'm going to choose to follow and not to lead. Now I want us to take a quick look at the book of Joshua. So Joshua, just to give you a bit of context... Joshua is leading a whole new generation of people across the Jordan. You see, they're about to go into the promised land and to take the promised land. They're coming up against their first battle, which is, this, which is the city of Jericho. Jericho is a walled city. It was a very large city. They just spent, these people, this generation, had just spent 40 years wandering around in the, in the wilderness, and they've watched their parents die off. You see, their mothers and fathers were the people who had been slaves in Egypt, and they come out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, Moses was leading them, and he had taken them to the promised land, and he had said to them, God is giving us this promised land. And so what Moses did was he had sent out 12 spies, 12 princes of, of, of the Israelites. He sent them out, and two of them came back with a really positive report, Joshua and Caleb. They came back, and they were raving. This is going to be amazing. This promised land is going to be awesome. We can do this. We can take the land. The other 10 came back, and they had a really negative report. In fact, the report was so negative that it had turned the whole of the nation of Israel into, into saying, no, God, we can't do this. You know, there's no way we're going to be able to do it. God actually got really, really angry with them, and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to wipe you all out. I'm done. I'm done with the whinging. You should take, you know, when you have kids, you get to that point, right, when you're on a trip, and they're just whinging, and you're at the point where you just want to, you know, God was like that with the, with the Israelites. He was like, that's what I'm done. Moses intercedes and says to God, you can't really kill your people, because at this stage, God's saying, they're not my people, they're yours, Moses, what are you doing? And so, what God says to them ultimately was, you know what, okay, you're not going to take the promised land, and all the things that you thought were going to happen, um, to, you know, to your children are going to happen to you guys. You guys are going to die in the wilderness and your children can take the promised land. And so this is kind of the, where they're at in the story, right? Joshua has come to this point where he's listening to God. He doesn't want to make the same mistake as before. Um, he's just had all the males circumcised at Gilgal. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They're standing there looking at the city, wondering how they're going to take it, right? Man has just ceased... They've eaten from the land for the first time. So God's kind of withdrawn that kind of provision. Now they have to provide for themselves. And so Joshua is on the plains of Jericho. And he's like, okay, I can't make the same mistake. So he's inquiring about what are, what are we doing here, God? <clears throat> if you look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, you've got to remember, they're about to go into battle. This is the very first 
battle. They haven't done it before. Joshua's sent out two spies because he learned not to send out 12. He, he sent out two spies. They've met with Rahab. They've come back in. The report from these two spies is the people are afraid. They are melting with fear because we're here. So everyone's primed. Everyone's prepped and ready to go. And he's about, he needs the battle plan, right? And Joshua is standing on the plains, looking at Jericho, looking at the area, and this man turns up. Now, that man in my Bible has a capital M. That's because this is a, um, a, Christ- a Christophany. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus Christ is all God, all man, all things were made by him and through him, and nothing was made that was made without him. And so he wasn't born in, as a as a babe infused with humanity, he was both God and he was both man. But he does turn up periodically through the Old Testament. So he's calm and he's standing there and Joshua doesn't know who this is. He doesn't know that he's actually talking to Jesus. He doesn't know who this man is. He just knows there's this man standing there with a sword and he says to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And in verse 14 it says, so he, the man, said, no. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So how do I know that this is a Christophany? Two reasons. One, God is the only one who will ever receive worship. Secondly, whenever... People who come in contact with angels, they have bowed down to worship them, and they've instantly been told by the angel, get up, stand to your feet. You are not to worship me. I'm a servant as you are. This did not happen. This man accepted the worship, so we know. But here's actually what I want you to see. That's just a side note for those people who like kind of weird, quirky things in the Bible. So here's what I want you to see. Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, I am not for you and I'm not for your adversary. The thing that you have to understand is God is not for you, and God is not for your enemy. God is for God. God is for God. He is not on your team. He is not on my team. He is on God's team. He has, God has one agenda and one agenda only. That is his plan and his purposes. And we quite often think it's about our plan and our purposes. I love what the commander said. I love what Jesus said. He says, no, I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I am fulfilling God's plan. Now, I want you to remember the attitude that we're talking about is that I choose to follow and not to lead. Because God doesn't have me lead, he has me follow. To follow God means that I have got to believe God. It means that doubt and unbelief and rebellion and disobedience actually have no part in my life. There's an attitude that we can get when we go on into the Christian walk, and it's an attitude where where our thoughts and our feelings motivate us to have these habits. And sometimes we get weary in following Jesus, right? Because it can be long, and it can be hard, and there can be challenges along the way, and we can get a little bit weary, and sometimes we can get disappointed in God because we think he should have done something that he didn't do, or we think he should have stopped something for happening that happened, or we think maybe he should have opened up this door, he should have opened up that door, and we keep, and what happens is as you go along in your Christian life, you begin to withdraw a little bit from God because it didn't work out the way that you thought it was going to. 
we get a little bit cold towards God and we get a little bit cold towards the church and we withdraw. It used to be that you sat at the front row of church and now because you're a little bit withdrawn from God because things don't quite work out, you're kind of sitting in the middle row. And before you know it, you're going to be sitting at the back and, and within two months you're going to be out the door and not showing up at church at all. That is actually what happens quite often for Christians. At the very center of faith is a concept called loyalty. There is no faith without loyalty and commitment. The Bible actually calls it a covenant. We are under a blood covenant. I am under a covenant. I am in this for the long haul. I belong to God. I am here for the good and I'm here for the bad. I'm here when I'm being blessed and I'm here when it doesn't look like I'm being blessed. I'm here when I feel him and I'm here when I don't feel him. I am here day in and day out, every day on this planet. Every day that I have, I will follow him regardless of what happens in my life because he is God. Because he is God alone on this earth and he is God alone in the heavens and he is God and I have been brought with a price. Whether I like what's happening in my life, whether I feel it is fair, whether I feel it is justified, my job is not to judge that. My job is to follow God. And I cannot let what I think about those things or how I feel about some of those things derail where I am with God. I cannot allow those things to come in and erode my faith, to erode away at my relationship with God. I cannot allow rebellion and disobedience into my life. And it's subtle. It's so subtle when it starts that you don't even realize that you're starting to get a bit cold and withdrawn. You know, I've been following Jesus for over 30 years now. I have never regretted it. It has been hard. It has been difficult. But I have never regretted it. But you know what I have noticed? There have been hundreds of people that have come into the life of, of the church, not just this church, but other churches that I've been in. They've come in. They say yes to God on Sunday. But sometime during the week, something's happened, and they walk out the door, and they don't follow Jesus anymore. That is not what I want for myself, and that is certainly not what I want for you. They walk away from this great gift that God has given us. We live in a world of unbelief. And if you don't fill yourself up, if I don't fill myself up with the presence of God and the word of God, then what happens is that it leaks. Faith leaks out of us by circumstance. Faith leaks out of us by the things that we experience. Faith leaks out of us because it didn't quite plan out the way that we had thought it was going to. And so if you do not constantly keep yourself filled up with the Word of God, if you don't constantly keep yourself filled up with the presence of God, you're going to end up empty. You're going to get a bit of an attitude. You're going to get a little bit cold, a little bit hard. You used to be passionate, but now you're not so passionate. You used to be on fire, but now you're not so on fire. You used to want to talk about Jesus all the time, but now you're quite happy to not. You see, faith has a corresponding attitude of submission and brings about an action of obedience. Unbelief has a corresponding attitude of rebellion and brings about an action of disobedience. Doubt stands at the crossroads of your life every day, and it's trying to get you to veer down the path of unbelief and rebellion. And you know what? Don't kid yourself. It can happen to any one of us at any time. You can have a crisis of faith in your life. A crisis of faith is sometimes you wake up and, and you, for no reason at all, you'll be like, is this real? Is God real? Am I just, 
Am I just being silly? Is this whole thing is fake? And if you have those moments, if you don't know how to address those things, then you're going to end up by biting it, hook, line, and sinker, and wander away. We all face this. All Christians will face that moment where you have that moment of, is this real? And if you haven't kept your life filled up with Jesus, if you haven't kept the word filled up, if you haven't kept his presence filled up in your life, it's just going to continue to leak and erode your faith. We need to hear the plan of God. The commander had actually gave Joshua what he was to do to take out Jericho. But Joshua had to understand something. God wasn't on Joshua's side. Joshua was actually on God's side. Because it's about God, and it's about Joshua being under his authority. For us, it's not about God getting on board with our plans. It's about us getting on board with God's plans. It's about him. Are you on the Lord's side, or are you wanting him on your side? 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 13 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Trouble is going to come. Persecution is going to come. There will be things happening in your world that you do not understand, but you need to remember that God will never leave you and God will never forsake you. He is with us at all times. We will stay the course. We will hold the battle line. We will hold to what God has said, and we will not allow our faith to leak away. We will be people of courage. We will be people of integrity and loyalty and faith and obedience to God. This is the attitude that we need to have. We've got to choose to follow him. There's a really interesting story in John 21 and about when Jesus tells Peter to follow him. This is after Peter had, um, had denied Christ. He'd, you know, three times he denied him and, and Jesus had died and then he's been resurrected. And Peter, of course, is devastated. He's absolutely devastated that he had denied Jesus, right? He's, he's in this kind of despair and he just, he's just really upset about it. And what's, what's really interesting is Jesus comes along and I find it interesting, he makes him breakfast. He finds Peter and Jesus makes him breakfast and they sit down. And as they sit down and he has this conversation, he says this in John 21, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you were girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And then he had spoken this to him. He said this, follow me. Our attitude is that we choose to follow and not to lead. Verse 20 picks it up like this. 
Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper, and he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look at what's happening to somebody else. The only time you should be looking at somebody else is to determine that they have enough, not that they have more than you. We keep our eyes to looked firmly on Jesus. You know what? Other people around you, they may be getting blessed, and maybe they get the blessing that you think that you deserve. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. He's not asking you to judge what somebody else has got, what somebody else is doing. He's saying to you, you follow me. It doesn't matter. We shouldn't be looking at other people. We shouldn't look at other people's husbands. We shouldn't look at other people's wives, how their kids are going. We don't look at other people's churches. We don't look at how somebody else is being blessed by God here or blessed by God there. We follow Jesus. I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I do what Jesus tells me to do. And yet maybe I want to have all these great and wonderful things and maybe want to you know, have this booming church that has thousands and thousands of people. But is that what God's asked me to do? No, what God asked me to do is to stand here and to minister to this church. So I'm going to stand here and I'm going to minister to this church, and I'm not going to worry about what that church is doing. I'm not going to worry about what that husband is doing because I have my own husband. I'm not going to worry about what those kids are doing. I have my own kids. God says, you follow me. You have to choose to follow and not to lead. So how do I recognize if I am following or if I am leading? Right? Remember our formula we had? First, you've got to recognize that you have an attitude. Second, you've got to repent and change your thinking. And third, you've got to renew your thinking and refocus yourself. The first thing I have to ask myself is, am I following or am I leading? Am I asking God to get into my life or am I getting into God's life? Am I getting into God's plan or am I telling him to come into my plan? Because that's where the attitude actually starts. So once you've determined where you're at, are you following or are you leading? Then you've got to get heaven's perspective. I believe I've just given you heaven's perspective. So hopefully you have that now. Then you've got to renew your thinking. When you've got to renew something, that's because something's broken. Have you got broken thinking? Have you been experiencing brokenness in your life that you think maybe God caused, maybe that God allowed? Have you got a bit of a broken heart? And if you want your life to be fixed, you have to begin to think the right thoughts. You need to begin to think about the right actions that will bring purpose into your life and the destiny that God has for you. So just like the commander, when Joshua says, asked him about it, what we have to do is we have to go to God and you have to sit at his feet and you have to take the time to ask him, God, how am I going to fix this? Because I don't know exactly what your attitude is. I don't know exactly where you're at. I don't know if you're hard or cold or in between, but God will know. You ask him. Ask him about every aspect. You're like, God, what do you want me to do this year? God, what am I working on this year? God, who am I to have relationships with this year? Who am, where am I to work this year? Where am I to serve this year? He won't give you the whole plan, but he will give you step by step to guide you. And remember, our attitudes are that we're going to be committed to loyalty. We're going to follow what Jesus said. We're going to follow what God says. Because we want to be in his plan. We don't want God in our plan. The second attitude is that we need to choose to connect and not to judge. See, the first one was about God, and the second one is how do we about people. We've got to choose to connect to people and not to judge people. Matthew uh, 7, 12 says, Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. 
add up the God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. How you want people to treat you is how God says that you should treat other people. It's probably one of the most simplest instructions God has ever given us, right? God has actually called us to connect with other people. God has not called us to isolate. God has not called us to have distance. God has not called us to do life alone. And I found in my own life, um, in the life of my family, it's really easy to disconnect. It's really easy to get overwhelmed by people. It's really easy to get overwhelmed and busy so that, in all honesty, I want to disconnect. I, I, I'm one of those people. There are two types of people in the world. There are people who are energized by other people, and then there are people who are drained by other people. I am actually drained by other people. So I find that if I spend a lot of time with other people, then my natural inclination is to actually withdraw and to go, no, no people. Don't want no people. There are other people who, who find that really alien, and they need the energy of other people to keep them energized. Do you know people like that? Most people know which category you fall into, right? You know if you're an energized person or a, a drained person. The thing is, if you're a person who's drained by other people, that does not excuse you from not connecting with people. I use it as an excuse to not have to connect with people. I'm honest enough about that that I know that that's what I do. Craig, Craig's more energized by people than I am, so he's always wanting people around, and I'm always like, no. <laughs> it's not because I don't like people. Don't get me wrong. I do like people, but I like people on my terms. I like people when I have the energy for people. I don't want to, because like, I'm just like, oh. And I'm fine. People rock up, and they won't have a clue that five minutes beforehand I'm complaining to Craig that all these people are going to be here taking up my energy. Like, I know that about myself. But I don't want you to think that I don't like people, because I actually do on my terms. <laughs> just, look, we're being honest, right? We have to be honest if we have an attitude or not. Like I said, I'm actually preaching to myself. <laughs> so God has called us to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. God has called us to be a part of a family. He's called us to be a part of the church. He's called us to be a part of the body. He's actually ultimately called us to be a part of humanity. And the problem that we have quite often is that because we don't want to or because we're busy or because we got so tied up with our own work stuff or whatever, we can disconnect from people. And that disconnection can lead to isolation. And isolation can lead to us ending up in a very sorry state. We grow sluggish and selfish and self-absorbed. And we stop wanting to do things. We stop wanting to be a part of the family. We are all part of the same family of God, but we're all different. We have different personalities, and that's actually okay. We have different gifts, and we need that. We have different likes and dislikes, which is good because if everybody liked chocolate cake, then I wouldn't get any. So we all need to be different. The closer you get to people, the more you begin to see their imperfections. But that's okay because the closer people get to you, the more they see your imperfections. And this is what God actually calls for in fellowship and in friendship. We're actually better together than we are apart. But we can get an attitude where we don't want to have friends or that we're too tired or we're too busy or we're too this or too that. I just want to give you a couple of quick thoughts on some scriptures. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We actually need family and friends. God calls our family and friends to walk with us through the rough patches of our life, to rub off on one another. Together we are actually better. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Believe it or not, the closer you get to people, the better you actually become. You see, I have to recognize that I need friends. And I guess if I have an attitude about this, I need to ask where did that attitude come from, right? 
Am I protecting myself from previous hurts? Have I been hurt in a relationship before, so now I'm going to put up barriers? Have I withdrawn from close... Have I been bullied or betrayed? Have I been let down? You know, my heart's been hurt, so I don't want to really mess with that again. I don't want to go through that. Some people I see, they come to church and they attend church, and the minute the service is finished, they're up out the door and they walk out, they're gone. Why? It's great that you come to church. It's great that you hear the word of God. But it's not great that you leave without making connection. You see, God didn't call us to devour his word, to eat of his word, and to fellowship in his word, and not to serve. Because in serving one another, we're extending love to one another. You see, serving is a manifestation of everything that we've learned. With love, we serve one another. Love is a bond and it's glue that holds us together. Now, if you have been hurt before, if you've been hurt in relationships, you've been betrayed, your trust has been broken, all I can say to you is, Welcome to the human world. We live in a fallen world. People are going to hurt you. That's what happens. That's what happens because we're not in heaven. You know, man is broken. That's what it's like here on earth. People are going to hurt you. You have to go into this knowing that that's going to happen. But we're a part of the kingdom of God. And God loves. And we're going to love anyway. We're going to be... Have What is it? Uh, Soft heart, soft like marshmallow, but a hide as hard as a rhino. Because we want healthy marriages and healthy families and healthy relationships. We want to have friends and the relationships need to be healthy and not toxic and not draining. The only way you can accomplish that is to make sure that God is in the center of those relationships. We need to get heaven's perspective because earth's perspective of this is when you get hurt in relationships is to isolate, is to be, get too busy, to stay away from people, to not be involved. Jesus was actually social. Did you know that? Jesus was actually very, very social. He took his friends everywhere. He took his friends to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to weddings. He turned wine. He turned water into really good wine. Like, Jesus liked to party. He liked to hang out with people. Now, it's okay to drink a little bit of wine. It's not okay to get drunk. If you have an issue with drinking alcohol and you get drunk, then don't do it. You can still go and be social with people. Just don't do that. Like, if you have no self-control, abstinence is your better option. But it's wonderful when we come together and we laugh and we have fun and we play games and we have stupid, you know, karaoke things going on or whatever it is. Like, get together with your friends, get together with your family. And you know what? You're going to fight because all families fight, right? All families have arguments. All families get on each other's nerves, right? That's going to happen. That's just normal. But don't sweat it. Don't sweat the small stuff. When that happens, you be adult about it and you discuss it. You don't, you don't do the whole, I'm not talking to you. We get together, we forgive. You forgive quickly. Yep, so they said something that offended you. Get over it. Because that's what Jesus would do, right? Jesus would get over it. Do you know how many times I've had people say really nasty things about myself or about Craig, and then they rock up on Sunday, and I've got to be nice about it? To start with, it was a little hard. But now it's like, oh, whatever. Think what you want. Hey, nice that you came. You know, you have to be able to forgive. You have to be able to move on and not get tied up in these things. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. God tells me I have to forgive, so I want to forgive. You say some nasty things, I want to forgive you about it. Am I going to invite you over for Christmas? Probably not, but I will send you a card. We need to open up our hearts to the different facets of people. People are interesting. People are crazy. And it's amazing when we get involved with those people. We need to do that. The problem is that some of us judge those people. There's a great variety in humanity. And we need to celebrate that. 
So how are you going to renew this? Like if you, if, you, if you realize, actually, this is me, I've been pushing people away, I've been isolating myself. You know what? And you suddenly maybe you realize, I actually don't have any friends in the church or I don't have any friends full stop. You've got to be friendly. For a start, you want friends? Be friendly. Don't sit there scowling at people. Don't sit there with your arms folded all grumpy. Smile. You'd be amazing what happens when you smile. Get into a group. Join a connect group. Join a serve team. Get into a group where you're going to meet other people. Ask questions. Listen to people and ask questions. If you're a little bit shy and you don't know what to say to people, get them talking about their stuff. Tell me about your job. Tell me about your family. Tell me about this. And then they'll do all the talking and all the pressure comes off you and you don't have to. It's great. Don't be afraid that people aren't going to like you once they get to know you. They're going to find out all the wicked and horrible things that you've done and that you're actually an awful person. That's okay. You actually are an awful person. The only thing that makes us lovely and wonderful is Jesus. Without Jesus, we're all wicked. Without Jesus, we've all got stuff that we want to hide, and we you know, should. So don't worry that they're going to find out all these things about you. They will, but you'll also find out their stuff. Jesus makes us wonderful, and none of us are wonderful without him because we're all broken. But with him, we can get fixed, and we can work this out together. So if the attitude is that I'm going to choose to connect and not disconnect, I'm going to refuse to judge other people, I'm going to learn to be a safe friend. What does that mean? That means that when people come and they're in your presence, they are safe. It means that you, they can share things with you and not going to go and gossip about it or, or spread it around. It means you're not going to nail them with their judgment. When they share something that's deeply hurtful or painful for them or they share something that makes them look in a bad light, you're not going to judge them for that. You're just going to pray for them. Sometimes when we listen, we judge so quickly on the outside. Sometimes we write people off and don't give them a chance. And the concerning thing about that is sometimes God's brought them into your life for a reason. Nobody ever comes into your life for the sole benefit of one person. It's dual. Every single person I have contact with, I don't think to myself, oh, I'm in their life to lead them into a better relationship with Jesus. I go into every relationship going, what is this person going to teach me? That's how we need to be. What is this person going to teach me? Because no matter who they are, no matter how, what their life circumstances are, if you allow them, God will use them to teach you something. Everyone can teach you anything. Mother Teresa says this, there is nothing more calming in difficult moments than knowing there is someone fighting with you in the war that God has put you in. I really like that. When you are in a battle, it's nice to know that somebody's fighting alongside you. Amen? God has called us to be in relationship with one another. Maddie, can you come, please, on the keys? This is the very last one. I'll be really quick because I realize I'm just taking a fair bit of time. The third one is for myself. I'm going to choose peace and not anger. I don't know what your life is like, but I found myself getting quite frustrated. Anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. It makes you contentious, tend to arguments or strife. It can bring about frustration, feeling of being upset and annoyed, especially at the inability to change or achieve something. I sometimes feel like screaming with frustration. I kind of feel, I say that sentence a fair bit over the last few months, to be honest. Frustration can prevent progress. In other words, what you need to understand, life is going to frustrate you. In the last days, there'll be perilous times, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, irreverent and blasphemers. You are going to be frustrated. If you're a Christian, you are certainly going to get frustrated with this current world. We are living in a really raw age. We're living in an age where you walk on eggshells about the things that you say, but it seems to be that you can... Act any way you want, as long as you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, they want you to be quiet and sit in the corner and, and, you know. 
and it can produce an anger and a frustration in us. And before long, you know, you just start losing your temper over stuff. And you start popping out words that you haven't said for a long time. Popping out words that you're embarrassed that you're suddenly saying. God says don't do that because it can circumvent his destiny for you. And that's not what he's made us for. Did Jesus have the opportunity to get disappointed or annoyed or frustrated? Yeah, he did. How many times did you see him saying in the Bible, how long must I bear with you, you of little faith? But you know what? He didn't yell at us. He didn't swear at us. He didn't lose his temper with us. Can you imagine, though, God walking on the earth, dealing with us and seeing how stupid we can be? Because we can be pretty stupid, right? And he doesn't get angry with us. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I like how the message puts it. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. See, anger can become a manipulative tool to get your way. When you are angry all the time, people are scared of your reaction. So what you're going to end up with is people saying, yes, Trin, yes, Trin, because they don't want me to go off my nut. This become men pleasers. And that is totally contrary to the kingdom of God. God doesn't rule by fear. We should not interact with people and have them bowing down to us and manipulating them because of fear. I know some of it can come from frustration, so we relax out in anger. So this is something that we really all need to be working on. How do I change my bad attitude of anger and frustration? Well, first, I have to recognize that I have one. Are you always losing your temper? Has your fuse gotten really short? Do you snap? Because love is long-suffering. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, and love doesn't gossip about other people. Are you being long-suffering? So how do I fix it? Well, I've got to get heaven's perspective first, right? I've got to repent. You know, and God just gives us this really beautiful um, perspective of James and John in Luke 9. They're on their way to Samaria. Jesus is going to the cross, and he's not going to stop in Samaria. He's already said, that, no, I'm not stopping. I'm, 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 I've got to keep going because I'm, I'm, you know, he's, he's on a roll now. He's got to get to, to where he's going at, at a certain time. And the people in Samaria are mad because he's not going to stop. They're really angry with Jesus, and they say some stuff, and go on then, and all sorts of stuff. And so the disciples who witness this, they get mad. And in verse 54, this is what happens. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went to another village. He said, he used to call James and John sons of thunder. But they didn't know what they were of. They didn't know what spirit they were of. They're not from the Old Testament where it's an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. They're going to call down fire like Elijah did on the prophets of Baal. That's not what this kingdom is about. That's not what Jesus is about, right? You don't know who you belong to when you start behaving like that. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He has bequeathed, He has left, He has given you as an inheritance His peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And in Romans 12, it says, As far as it concerns you, live at peace with all men. Jesus taught us to, taught to turn the other cheek. He taught us to pray for our enemies, and He taught us to take our anger and turn it into something productive. Be angry, but do not sin. Righteous anger is anger for God and God's plans. And that anger does not destroy people. That's the only anger we're actually allowed to have. When 
we have a short fuse or when we get frustrated, there's something that's always bugging us, then we better stop and look at our attitude and talk to God because he has left us his peace, not his anger. We need to repent. This is the very last scripture I want to share with you. It's for if someone's bugging you, someone's getting on your nerves, you've got one nerve left and somebody's tapping it. And it's always people, right? If you get angry at inanimate objects, you've got a different kind of an issue that we need to deal with. But it's always people. So it says in Romans 12, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when that person is getting on the last nerves and you want to yell at them, and you want to rail against them, and you want to say stuff, you need to actually pray for them. Listen to their heart. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's caused them to have that reaction. And nine times out of ten, we don't stop to ask. We just react to what we're getting. But every time, when that happens, I want you to stop for a moment and think to yourself, why could they be reacting like that? What hurt has got them to that point that this is how they think it's acceptable to speak to someone or this is an acceptable thing to say to someone? And if you are really angry with someone, deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Sit down and have a conversation calm conversation if you can't stay calm walk away and come back later don't add fuel to your fire one of the things that Craig and I I did is, is when, we were, when we were newly married we would fight over the most ridiculous things but we learnt to fight holding hands you can't punch someone if you're holding your hand no, I'm <laughs> like I'm really expressive right so my hands fly but when he would hold my hands it would actually keep me calm and keep me, keep me balanced. Find a way to have conversations with people. See, God wants us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. He wants us to live in his peace. He wants us to have an attitude, not of stress, but an attitude of joy, an attitude of faith, and an attitude of love. So these attitudes can change your destiny. They can change your 2023. So what did you learn today? Hopefully, you learned that you're going to have to choose to follow and not to lead. You're going to choose to connect and not to judge people. They're going to choose peace and not anger. And you're going to remember how to make this change. You're going to recognize, first of all, that you have a need, that you need to change. You're going to be honest with yourself. Secondly, you're going to repent. You're going to get heaven's perspective on it, on the issue. If you need help with that, reach out to your connect group leader. Reach out to, to you know, Anna and Rima, Craig or I. Number three, you're going to renew. You're going to replace what is broken with the new creation, the reality of who Jesus is and have a new attitude that he's put inside of us. That's it. It's quite simple. Do you think you can do it? Did you get something out of today? All right, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Father, 
We thank you, God, that you have set up this year of 2023 for us to be intentional about our relationship with you, for us to be intentional about seeing you glorified in our lives. Father, we thank you that you're going to give us great opportunities, Father, to be able to experience that. I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to go away and consider the message today. Holy Spirit, that you've ignited something, a thought, a plan, a purpose within the message that is personal to each person. And Lord, that they'll be able to go away and actually make this a part of their 2023. I thank you, God, that we're going to make sure that we have heaven's perspective. God, that we're going to make sure that we can repent and change the way that we do things, God. That we're not going to fall into old habits and old paths, but God, that we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're not going to look to the left or to the right, but God, that we're going to focus firmly on what you have done because God, we follow you. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your week. Join us for um, tea and coffee. Fill in a Live Connected card if you haven't done so. And um, we will see you next Sunday.